Why don't you turn with me to the book of Proverbs, book of Proverbs. Uh, If you turn in the middle of your Bible, you're going to be close. So the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, Uh, Lord willing, for the next uh, 10 or 12 weeks between now and Easter, we will be going through the book of Proverbs. And if you know anything about the book of Proverbs, and we'll talk a little bit about structure in a little bit, you'll know that some of those sermons will be fairly topical. We'll just say, okay, what does the book of Proverbs teach us about work or money or friendships? But really, the first half of this series is going to be more like exposition. We're going to go through the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, kind of in a more traditional sense, and then uh, we'll consider the book more topically for the second half of the series. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into this series and this sermon together. Would you, would you talk to God with me now? Father God, we thank you for the opportunity now to look into your word. We thank you for Jesus, that he came amongst us to lead us home to our creator. And so we pray that we would be rightly related to you through Christ. Help us to understand this book and your wisdom Uh, and especially uh, where it leads us. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I think you would agree that we have more access to more information today than ever before. More access to more information today than ever before. It's been called, at least since the 1960s, the information age. And because nothing is more gripping of an introduction than to read a uh, dictionary definition, here is the dictionary definition. The modern age, regarded as a time in which information has become a commodity, that is quickly and widely disseminated and easily available, especially through the use of computer technology, right? So we have all this information, and it can spread far and fast, and you have access to it probably in your pocket. On your little personal computer that we call a phone, that we don't make a lot of calls on them these days. So much information. We have Google and Wikipedia. If you're like me, I just open my phone and I hit a button and I ask the question. And I get information read back to me. We have libraries and YouTube and smartphones. So much information so quickly. And of course, AI is coming and is going to make this more pronounced Way back in 1936, T.S. Eliot asked this question, these questions. Where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? Proverbs is so different than our age. It's not about giving us information. It's about giving us wisdom. We have so much access to so much information, but are we wiser? Are you wiser? We need the book of Proverbs because information isn't wisdom. Information isn't wisdom. So more information does not mean one is more wise. You can get straight A's in school and be a fool. Wisdom is skill, skill for living. Uh, Some of you, like me, uh, like information. I am always listening to another podcast, reading another article, listening to another audiobook, uh, watching another YouTube video, another news outlet, another whatever, on and on it goes, right? But there is a famine of wisdom today. So many voices, so little wisdom. And part of the reason is you used to have to be given a microphone and fools were rarely given a microphone. 
Now everyone has a megaphone. Every fool can spread his information, his voice far and wide. So we need Proverbs because information isn't wisdom, but we also need Proverbs because its aim isn't just how we act, but who we are. This is a book that is deeply about what we might call character formation. It's about conduct, yes, but also character. So it's not going to give us a new routine or five ways to improve this area of our lives. Proverbs tells us what God likes and what God dislikes. Is that priceless or worthless to our God? Do you want to know what God values, right? Wouldn't that be nice to know? This is the difference from wisdom generally, right? Proverbs is God's wisdom. And so we'll see this morning, it starts with him. We need the book of Proverbs because it's sayings or Proverbs or sometimes even riddles cause us to slow down. They cause us to contemplate them. We'll see here in the opening words that Solomon calls some of his sayings, at least riddles. They require us to linger. They're simple, but complex, accessible, but deep. And so in our information age with so many distractions, this book in its very shape and its very form is what we need to force us to slow down. I heard this analogy, and I think it it gets at the point well. My uh, grandfather, Ted Gates, who's now in his mid-90s, we went to church with my my grandparents on my mom's side. And we would usually sit one row behind them or one row in front of them, depending on which pew was available. And he always sat in the same pew. And he arrived at his pew by looking up at the lights and sitting directly under a light uh, so that he could see his, his Bible. And he always had two things on him. Uh, one was Ricola's, the cubes with the extra wax paper, and the other was Werther's Originals. Some of you remember Werther's Originals. Uh, this is just a caramel hard candy. And the wrappers were the funniest thing to me, right? Because the Ricola was wax paper and you could do it quietly. The Werther's Originals was like an announcement. Candy is being distributed, Right? And, and I loved those Werther's Originals. I loved when I, when I got one, especially, especially in, in church. Maybe your, your grandparent was uh, a distributor of hard candies uh, like, my, like my grandfather was. Proverbs is like hard candy, right? They're, they're not to be swallowed. They're not even to be chewed. They're to be kind of rolled around in your mouth. You're, you're meant to kind of... Put them in, carry them with you, slowly turn them over and over. They're short and memorable and thus could be memorized so that you could take them on the go. They would last a long time. But of course, everything in our age today encourages us to just swallow it. Right? So we read Proverbs too quickly. That's my contention to you. You read Proverbs too quickly. We read Proverbs too quickly. We're easily distracted. We mistake how, how this book is meant to be taken in. It's Werther's Originals. Right? It requires slowing down. requires learning it so that you can linger over it. Beyond the few seconds it takes you to read it. 
We're going to miss the wisdom that only comes from contemplating Proverbs from this book. So we need the book of Proverbs. This is all by way of introduction. Because information is not wisdom. We need the book of Proverbs because we need character formation and not just conduct tweaks. And we need this book, this inspired book, because like old-fashioned hard candy, it must be carried around and turned over and over. This morning, I want to ask just two questions, kind of by way of overview, and then we'll have two points. So two questions and two points. First, the two questions. What is Proverbs and what is a proverb? So question number one, what is Proverbs? Proverbs is a collection of of wise sayings. Now, most of them are in the form of Proverbs, but there's other types. There's little stories and vignettes and poems and lists and all of this about how to get the good life. We could put it this way. Proverbs is about sowing and reaping applied. That principle applied in life. It's God's perspective on daily living. So it has warnings for us how not to get the good life. Look at Proverbs 1, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. So it's a proverb, at least unless otherwise noted, and largely by King Solomon, the son of King David. So the father in Proverbs who instructs his son is a king instructing his son that is the next king. So there's a kingly context. And yet when you get in and read it, it's kind of rural and folky. It's practical. It's not city and urban, right? It's farming. It's, it's really earthy. It, it, we, we can understand it almost immediately, at least on one level. So at points, it's, it's more classical than country. But at other points, it's more country than classical. We need to be prepared for both. Let me just give you a broad sketch of, of how the book is, is laid out. I think this is helpful. You may want to write down some of this, or you may just want to reflect. There's some big sections, but if you see these, I think it'll help you navigate both this series, but also the book. I think Proverbs is a book that most of us love reading. Some of us grew up reading a proverb uh, a day for a month. There's 31 chapters, 31 days in a month. I first encountered the book of Proverbs uh, at my Christian school in junior high, uh, the person who taught junior high was a, was a guy, uh, Fred Irwin, and he would on Thursday mornings, uh, begin the day with reading the Proverbs for the day, or we worked through Proverbs. I don't remember exactly how we did. And he required us to pick out a Proverbs and comment on it. Ooh, as a young boy in front of other young boys and girls, that was very nerve wracking, right? But I saw, oh man, there's a lot here. There's a lot that needs to be wrestled with. So what's the layout of the book? We have the introduction, which is what we're going to look at today. This is verses 1 through 7. And then you have these 10 talks. These are father-son talks. So if you look at verse 8, there's 10 of these that begin with my son. Give with a, a reason for him to listen, a motivation, a reference to God's word and authority to Torah. So it begins with 10 talks from a father to a son. And then in chapters 8 and 9, you have these two kind of appendices, which is like further motivation to listen up. So if I were to put it this way, we could, we could say, we'd say chapters 1 through 9 is listen up, pay attention. And chapters 10 and following are the Proverbs, the wisdom themselves. Does that make sense? So he's going to implore us over and over 10 different times that we need wisdom. 
We need understanding. We need to, to wrestle with how life goes in God's ordered world. And then he gives us the sayings of Solomon. These proverbs are laid out in the latter chapters. So in chapter 10, verse 1, we read the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father, and a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And then in that section, starting in 10.1, we have 375 Proverbs. Some of you may know that in Hebrew, numbers are assigned to words, in particular names, and the word Solomon is associated with the number 375. So there's not a lot of structure in the latter half of the book as we're used to seeing it, but these are ordered. These are curated, wise, inspired wisdom proverbs from Solomon to his sons. And then we have the sayings of the wise and more sayings of the wise uh, in chapter 22 through 24. And then we have a second section, 25.1. These also are the proverbs of Solomon. And then after that, we have two appendices again, right? We have the words of Agor and the words of King Lemuel. And then it ends with a poem on the noble wife. So you get the basic layout, right? You have 10 talks from a father to a son. Listen up. And then a few extra reasons why you must listen. You must heed this. Blessings and curses, if you will. And then in, in 10.1, moving forward, you have some Proverbs of Solomon, some words of the wise, some more Proverbs of Solomon, some Proverbs from these two other guys, and then a poem on the noble wife. It's just a broad overview of what we are going to see. What is a proverb? What is a proverb? My seminary professor gave this short definition. It is a pithy and vivid statement. That's what a proverb is. I almost don't need to define it. You know what a proverb is. You know one when you see it. It's, it's pithy. It's memorable. It's catchy. It's usually short and to the point. It could be a little story, but the goal is to be memorable. So that it applies to everyday situations in life. You can memorize it and learn it and take it with you. So Proverbs 26, 17 is an example. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. That's memorable, right? You're getting involved in some scuffle that you don't need to be involved in. It's like picking up a dog by the ears. How's that going to go? Again, we're not thinking domesticated dog that we love in our home. We're thinking dog, right? And you're picking that thing up by the ears. And what you're going to have to do eventually is put it down. And you're going to find yourself, what, entangled. All right, that's catchy, right? Don't pick up dogs by the ears. Don't go involved in quarrels that aren't your own. Leland Riken notes, The simplicity of a proverb springs... From one of its purposes, namely, to strip an experience down to its core. A proverb is an insight into the repeatable situations of life. This requires a universal principle rather than a specific example. In turn, a universal is simple. It's a pithy, memorable, catchy statement. It's vivid. It's bright. It's in your face. It's not sugar-coated. It's abrupt. There's usually a contrast going on. There's not a lot of nuance. So Proverbs 12, 23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. Sounds like the internet, doesn't it? 
So just as the father is calling his son to listen up, to choose wisdom. So these individual proverbs use contrast to call you, to call you and I to make a choice. See, proverbs compel us to make a judgment, to make a judgment on the, on the world, on our own character. They open our eyes to, okay, what is the wise life? And are we going to choose to follow the fool or to follow the wise man? So it'll talk about self-control and work and our words and righteousness. We'll read Proverbs like Proverbs 16, 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. It's going to instruct us on what we seek and how we get it. They, they elicit a response often by referencing the result, the consequence. Remember, sowing and reaping. Proverbs 22, 24, and 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. What's the implication? Make a choice. Choose wisely your friends. But of course, Proverbs requires us not just to make judgments about fools and wise out there, but actually to make judgments about our own character. What type of person are you? Are you going to try to get the good life by taking it from someone else? Through cheating, in school or in sports, in relationships? Through laziness? Through violence? Through getting it quickly? Through willful ignorance? Ignoring the laws of life? Or are you going to try to get the good life by, by fearing God and pursuing wisdom and working hard and trusting the one who gives all of life its order? More fundamentally, a proverb is a portrayal of reality. Some of you remember our series in Ecclesiastes, Proverbs is I before E. It's the moral ordering of God's good world. We'll come back to this in, in just a moment. But just note God's kindness in revealing this. Coming alongside us, giving us a book full of this kind of vivid, pithy, memorable sense of reality. The real. And the real always includes God. So what's the purpose of Proverbs? Let's look now at Proverbs 1, beginning in verse 2, all the way down to verse 7. Point number 1, which is from 2 through 6. Proverbs teaches wisdom, and wisdom is skill for living. That's point number 1. Proverbs teaches wisdom, and wisdom is skill for living. Look at verse 2. He gives two purpose statements. Two purpose statements for these Proverbs. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. So the first purpose is this, to gain moral astuteness. Essential part of wisdom, the ability to apply knowledge to life, involves discernment, gets at the heart of definition of wisdom. This is a skill for living, but then notice the second part, we might call it mental astuteness. Second half of verse 2. This is the accumulating of the right kind of knowledge and understanding and insight which wisdom brings. It's not about intelligence. It's not about A's. It's about understanding God's good and ordered 
world. He then expounds on the first part of verse 2 in verses 3 through 5, and then the second part of verse 2 in verse 6. Notice that he repeats the idea of instruction and wisdom from verse 2 down in verse 3. Verse 3, we have kind of from, from the, uh, the child's perspective, we might say. Look at verse 3. To receive instruction in wise dealing, echoing 2a, in righteousness, justice, and equity. It's kind of the purpose from the child's perspective. But then verse Verse 4, he moves to the parent's perspective. Look at verses 4 and 5. To give, so not just to receive, but also to give. Prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. Let's step through these briefly here. Look back at verse 4. The wisdom of Proverbs benefits the naive. Parents... Look out at the world and they see it mined and with traps and snares. They see the dangers that the young don't see. There's things to be warned against. This is exactly what the father will do. Remember we said they have 10 talks to begin with. So the first talk begins in chapter 1 verse 8. And it's a warning against seeking the good life through violence. The last three talks of the ten is a warning about the dangers of illicit sex. So he begins and ends with this world has booby traps. And it needs to, you need to be warned against certain things that you can't immediately see. He cares that his son would understand this. His son will face many temptations. It's mined and it's trapped, but the solution isn't a helicopter and it isn't a snowplow. But rather, deliberate instruction in wisdom. This father knows that the wise father equips his son for the journey. Giving him hard candy he can carry with him. Savor and reference. Proverbs is to teach us. The father wants to teach his son, and it does it fairly directly, much more directly than maybe a poem or a story, so that the naive might be shrewd, so that the simple might be prudent, so that the young might have knowledge and discernment, not always learning the hard way. But when we get to verse 5, we realize that Proverbs isn't just for the young people in the church. It's not just for the naive and the simple. It's actually for the wise. Look at verse 5 again. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain prudence. Notice that the wise is still growing. Still learning. So wisdom isn't some sort of status that you attain when you hit a certain age or when you get enough gray hair or anything like that. You, you can always grow in wisdom. So this, this isn't a series just for sons. This isn't a series just for the young people in our church. It's for the naive, the simple, but it's also for the wise. It's for parents and children and for grandparents and great-grandparents. End of verse 5, we learn that Proverbs also promises guidance like a rudder. These Proverbs will steer you. They'll shape your thinking and then your character leading to guidance. 
I think we see this again and again. Proverbs teaches us as Christians that we need to care about character formation. So we shouldn't reduce Christianity to a conversion experience. Proverbs teaches us how practical our parenting and our discipling and our mentoring and our friending should and must be. So if we simply teach about Jesus and never about our words or our relationships or money and work, marriage, parenting, and on and on, we will lack the wisdom we need to follow Christ. You see, friends, the Bible doesn't just give us a destination and how to get there. It gives us the wisdom for the way. It teaches us skill for living, moral astuteness for the road of life. It's deeply practical, and I think we'll see this as we go. There's also this awakening, right, to the sense of the real. Why do we need this? Well, we see it back in, in the word there, the beginning of verse 4. Simple, right? We, we come into the world ignorant. We need wisdom. We need instruction. Friends, there is a moral order to God's created world, just like there is an order to the physical world that he created. So scientists can study creation because there's order in the physical realm. God put that order there. Things like gravity or two plus two equals four. Similarly, there's order to the moral, spiritual realm. So the book of Proverbs, 3,000 years later, can speak with clarity and wisdom to the very real issues of life for the very reason boats still float. There's order. Order morally, just like there is order physically. It's the way God made it. So you can live your life disregarding the laws of order they put in the physical world, but you aren't the exception. They will still affect you. And you can live your life disregarding the truth of Scripture, the way he's ordered the world morally, but you're not the exception. Truth will not disregard you. It still applies. We come into the world ignorant of this moral and spiritual order. We are naive and we lack moral astuteness. And so Proverbs gives us the wisdom that we need. So we can see the reality of God's ordered world. But the problem of mankind isn't just ignorance. It goes a whole lot deeper than that. We are wayward. Here's the lie that we often believe. There's sowing and reaping. That's why you may, hopefully, maybe do. That's why you garden. Right? There's sowing and reaping. We get it. We're not surprised by it. Pumpkin seeds. What do you know? Pumpkins. But we believe the lie that there's no sowing and reaping morally, spiritually. We think, I can sow and never reap. And this isn't a a teenager problem or a Gen Z problem. This is a sinner problem. We all believe this still. And Proverbs says, there's consequences in the moral order of things. And it does it in a thousand different ways, presses this upon us in all areas of life. And it does it memorably, especially starting in chapter 10, verse 1, after telling us 10 times, listen up, you really need this. So Solomon takes the purpose then that we find in the second half, verse 2, 
and expounds it in verse 6. Notice the word to understand from 2b is repeated down to verse 6. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. This mental astuteness, this way of understanding these words of insight, a proverb, a saying, the words of the wise and riddles, all synonyms for this wisdom that we find here in the book. Of course, this is what exactly what we see back in first Kings chapter four, when the Lord gives Solomon the wisdom that he needed as a king and that he asked for in order to even write this. He gave him knowledge of how the world is put together. So Solomon is commenting on animals and trees. Such an interesting inclusion. Maybe you want to look it up. The end of first Kings four later this afternoon, what wisdom looks like he gets life. He gets order. He gets nature. But there's also the knowledge morally, right? To manage people, right? To understand, make judgments. Two women, one baby. Remember that? First Kings 3. It's that kind of wisdom. People skills, we might say. But then there's also this wisdom to, to create these proverbs and these sayings and to share these insights and to get riddles and words of the, wiz, of the wise. I want to zoom in on that word riddle. Isn't that interesting? End of verse 6. The words of the wise and their riddles. Why do wise people write riddles? I think they want to put their wisdom in riddles so that you have to think about it. A a riddle kind of covers the meaning initially in order to invite you to uncover it. To discover it. It's like a hard candy. It invites, even requires you to turn it over, to linger over it, to contemplate it, to wrestle with it. Point number two now. And finally, wisdom always starts with God. Wisdom always starts with God. Proverbs is wisdom, gives us wisdom, and wisdom is skill for living. But point number two, wisdom always starts with God. Earlier we talked about this portrayal of reality. I before E, the order that he's put in his good world. So when we say Proverbs is... pithy and vivid betrayal of reality. We got to remember that reality always includes God or point number two, as we put it here, wisdom always starts with God. Look at the motto of the book in verse seven, the main point, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We've already seen that knowledge and wisdom go hand in hand. They're intimately related. Later, he's going to say this at the end of this section, chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, not knowledge there, but the beginning of wisdom. A few weeks ago, uh, I was uh, leading my family in family worship, which we try to do every night. We do not. We have, we have like a MLB batting average, I would say. We're, you know, we, maybe around 50% of the time, but we try to, at dinner, sit down and, and open the Bible or children's Bible, summarizing the Bible, and then we pray, and I'll ask the kids questions, and we'll sing, and real, real basic. And we did this a couple weeks ago uh, from a, a book, kid's book written by Kevin DeYoung, and it was the section on Proverbs. And I read it thinking, oh, I'm going to be preaching on this in a few weeks, and that's really helpful. Let me read what he wrote to kids. 
So listen up, kids. I think you'll get this. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. That's not what fear of the Lord means. It means that we adore God and love God and stand amazed by God so much that we know we can trust him and we hate to displease him. If you were hiking in the mountains and you feared falling off the edge of a cliff, you wouldn't hide out in a cave. You wouldn't cry yourself to a sleep. You'd keep walking, but you would be careful. You would pay attention to the map. You would not climb on the guardrails. That's a good kind of fear. It keeps us safe, keeps us on the right path, just like the fear of the Lord. I think that's a helpful image, isn't it? It's a fear of the Lord that, that guides us, that keeps us moving forward safely. Look again at verse 7. It starts with God rightly relating to him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. So the wisdom of Proverbs isn't like the wisdom of Jordan Peterson or Oprah or Tucker Carlson. Why? Because the wisdom of Proverbs always starts with God and not just a theistic worldview. It starts with the right relation to God, fear of the Lord. This is essential. Adoring, loving God, trusting him, desiring to obey him are upstream from true knowledge. So one must relate to God rightly through Christ. Turning from our sin, turning from our foolishness, our sin. Only one related to God rightly through Christ can learn God's wisdom. Like fearing the edge of a cliff, the fear of the Lord shouldn't paralyze us. It should guide us. It doesn't send us away from God, but to him, right? We look to God and to his word for wisdom because we fear him. Jeffrey Arthurs, this is what he wrote. Proverbs are not prescriptions for the American dream. They are prescriptions for how to live skillfully in the world created by the sovereign generous and fearsome master so the good life that god is going to teach us about through the book of proverbs starts with god starts with rightly relating to him fearing him and then moves out into skill the skill needed for living notice how verse 7 ends again we have another contrast we'll see so many of these in the book of proverbs inviting us to consider our response to god's wisdom god's instruction the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Note the end of verse 7. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. My Hebrew professor in seminary drew out this implication. Uh, a principle that believers must teach their children is that in their pursuit of wisdom, catch this, they will be surrounded by others going the opposite direction who will encourage them to do the same. This is exactly what he says, beginning in verse 8, in his first talk to his son. There's people that are going that way. Don't go that way. They're seeking the good life through those means. Don't pursue the good life that way. That's not where you want to go. Notice where verse 7 leaves us. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. If you see someone who's despising God's word, you are seeing someone who's a fool. If we as Christians despise God's word, we are acting foolishly. 
You see how it forces you not only to make a choice and to make judgments out there, but to make judgments here. Am I despising God's word? Or am I seeking his wisdom like a treasure to be found? We'll see this next week in greater detail. So, friends, in all the noise and distraction of life, with all the voices sharing their wisdom, with so much access to so much information, there there remains just two choices, two ways to live, two opposites, a choice that stands before you, and it's at the heart of Proverbs, and we see it here in the motto in verse 7. How will you respond to God's wisdom? To God's instruction. Really, the question is, how will you respond to God? Will you fear the Lord and seek his wisdom? Will you start with God and then learn the skill that he gives us for living? Or will you despise him and despise his wisdom and seek the good life apart from him? Let me pray. Father God, we are born ignorant and we are born wayward. And so we have no access to the way of life, the way of wisdom, apart from Jesus. So help us to begin with you, to rightly relate to you through Christ, turning from our sin, trusting in our Savior alone to rescue us, so that we might begin to walk the road of wisdom and learn this skill for living. Father, forgive us for the times we have acted the fool and despised your wisdom, your word, your instruction. We've not valued it. We've not treasured it. We've put it even below the world's wisdom. Father, forgive us. Help us to be like the wise man who seeks it, who pursues it, who values it, who embraces it. Help us to be those who learn your wisdom so that we can roll it over and over in our minds so that we can take it with us in the day, benefit from it. Father, we pray now as we end this year together in song that you would receive our worship. We pray as we head into the new that you would bless this series in the book of Proverbs. We pray in Christ's name.